Amen. Good evening, New Hope. You may be seated this evening. Um, tonight, it's not a youth service over in the adult service. I was asked to preach quite a while ago, um, probably a month or five weeks ago or so over here uh, tonight. Uh, we had the dates mixed up, so we were going to have the youth. We have these small groups, discipleship nights, and we just decided to bring the youth over here. So it's awesome to see you guys intermingled with uh, the more wise and mature generations. Amen? Um, <laughs> I got you. I got you. So um, I, I want to go over a, a couple of things real quick. I do have a couple of announcements for the youth that I want to talk about tonight real quick. Uh, the first one, go ahead, just go through these screens real quick. First of all, I know that everybody knows about this, but the National Day of Prayer is uh, Thursday evening at Zanesville High School, May 1st. So please do your best to attend that um, at Zanesville High School, May 1st. That is not that far away. Um, the next announcement we have this evening is on May 4th, I'll be preaching. We talked about this a little bit. I'm sure Aaron Harper can appreciate this. May the 4th be with you. Um, we're gonna be, it's going to be an awesome message, so... Um, don't, don't miss that. And, and I guess in order, the next announcement, um, on May 18th, um, we went down, we had never been there. It's been around for about a year. We had a couple of kids during the restoration event check out the Treehouse, which is located on Market Street across from the Century National Bank. Has anyone heard of it or been there? It's like a coffee shop. Um, and the owner said that we could actually rent it out. So on Sunday evening, May 18th, uh, the youth ministry is going to rent the whole coffee shop out and we're going to have like a little bit of a message and the youth are going to participate actively on a certain topic and do like uh, songs and some poetry and things like that in a coffee house setting and hopefully influence the coffee house and the people that are uh, that it's staffed with that night, that night and um, looking forward to that. And they can, you send a few dollars with them, they can buy a sandwich or a drink or whatever. We're going to go there on uh, Sunday night, May 18th, right downtown, 6.30 to 8.30. So it'll give you time to drop them off at 6.30 and pick them up after church around 8.30, 8.45 or so. Cost is free, but if they want food or drinks, send a little bit of money with them for that. Next um, is Unity is a camp that Cornerstone is doing, and that is going to be uh, the last week of June. And I think we had maybe half a dozen kids from our youth ministry go to this last year. So if you are interested, the cost is $130, four days, four nights, all meals included, all recreation, all those types of things will be included. So if you have anybody that would like to go to that, any young person, please see myself and we can get that arranged. The, the money uh, isn't even due, I, th- I think, until like the very end of June. Like even a, you're, you can pay it if you need to a week before you go. So $130, four days, four nights, down in Duncan Falls at Cornerstone Church, shift the Barrick Youth Ministry on those grounds and some other things. They have vans that transport kids a couple of days to different places as well. So see me if you're interested in that, and we'll be updating some things on the Remedy Facebook page. Um, And finally, I think uh, Kings Island is happening. Now, I'm going to open this up to the church as well. Families, uh, young adults, anybody who wants to go to Kings Island um, on Saturday, um, June 28th, and that is a Saturday. It's all day. We're going to meet at the youth center probably around 7.15 a.m. And we'll be back around midnight. So it's kind of a long day. We're taking a $50 deposit in about four or five weeks. And, it, and if we get a charter bus, if we have enough family members and adults and young adults that would like to join us, then the cost is going to be approximately $70 a person. Now that includes all day admission to the park, 
all uh, admission to the water park, um, and huge concerts, Toby Mac, Jeremy Camp, Building 429, that includes that price. You get in and out of those concerts, water park, and everything all day. So if you would like to go, $50 is going to be doing about four or five weeks if you can swing it. Please let us know because we're opening this up to adults, young adults, and if we need to know kind of a list because if we have 50 people, we'll get a charter bus. If we have 20 to 30, we'll rent a couple of vans, okay? So please let us know, young adults as well. Anybody is welcome to attend this trip. It's not a youth trip. It's kind of a church trip. If you don't have any trips planned this year or vacations, 50 bucks, 70 bucks, and a few dollars to eat on, might be a pretty fun day in the park that day. So um, you're welcome. So please let us know about that, and that'll be in the uh, bulletin as well. Um, okay, you can take that down for now, Mike. Um, tonight's message, I'm excited to preach tonight, uh, kind of comes from, I guess, a place where my messages that God has been giving me have been coming from, um, but it kind of comes from a form of, who was at the restoration and heard the Saturday night message, even if, anybody? So a lot of the, the kids, and probably not as many as the adults, but, um, it obviously uh, kind of stems from Daniel 3, 17 and 18, but that is not the core of the message this evening. So it kind of comes from a form of even if the restoration and a song that I heard as I was praying on Sunday morning, January 12th, when I came in and preached about your faith being kind of overshadowed by different things in your life and having the, 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 the mercy and the love and the, and the glory of God and the forgiveness and all these different things that God kind of is and possesses and... Um, and gives us very generously when those things become eclipsed by our own reasoning, by our own thoughts, by uh, condemnation, by all these different things. Um, and so I want to start out by saying tonight's message, I don't really know what to title it. Uh, the necessity of hardship. Um, why, does, why does everything have to be so difficult? Why is there a perpetual thorn in my side or your side all the time like it seems to be? All the days of your life, it seems to never go away. Um, why? Well, good luck with that. Um, but I think having the word of God as, as our compass, we can kind of find out maybe a little bit why. So uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Job 13, 15 says, and we all know this, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And some of the versions say, yet I will praise him. Some of the versions say, yet I will trust in him. Yet I will trust in him. I will praise him. I will continue to hope in him to the point where I'm able to look at some other Christians and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Who has the confidence to say that? You want to know what it's like to be a Christian? Just watch me. Not in, not in arrogance, but confidence. That I know God, and he know, and we have been through some things. Amen? And I have trusted him. So I can say that. You want to know what a real Christian is? That's scary. I mean, who can really say that? That scares me to say that. But I know someone who said it. And it says, so, so why do some battles never seem to go away? Why do some battles always seem to be perpetually jabbing you in your side and you can't get any type of relief from them? 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Mike, go ahead and put that up. Now, I hear that happen a lot, and I feel a lot of people, when they choose to follow Christ, they all of a sudden become weird, like they're supposed to enter this life of ease, easy street, and joy. There is joy, but a lot of times joy comes through following God through hardships. So this is a quote that says, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you have heard that before? It's kind of a dumb question, Christian or not. It's kind of an arrogant question. Why do these bad things happen to me? I'm, I'm good. And then you kind of start to feel like, well, well, compared to that guy, I am. And you know, they kind of deserve this, but certainly I, I don't. I've been following Christ. It's a little arrogant. So why do bad things happen to good people? Romans says there is none good, no, not one, right? That only happened one time, and he volunteered for it. Amen? Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. He is the only good. He's the only good in us. That happened once, and he volunteered himself for it. So all these things that we call bad, we kind of throw in the towel and kind of quit Christianity because we don't think that these things should happen to us, or we think that our lives should be kind of mapped out the, according to how we feel. So th- this, is a, uh, this is a pretty critical question. Um, why do these battles seem to never disappear, never go away? Why, do, why are we always feeling like we're in a submission hold and barely breathing and head is barely above water? It kind of needs to be answered. So the Apostle Paul undoubtedly asked himself and prayed about on many occasions even though he was unquestionably one of our best examples of a victorious Christian, amen? And a very victorious persecutor of Christians in his prior, prior to his conversion, right? So Paul had an unwavering confidence in God and an unshakable assurance that he was on the pathway of victory and truth. And he kind of lifted up and exhorted the church to follow him in the same manner in which he was following Christ. What confidence that he was on a path of victory. He could look back at the churches and the people that he had led to the Lord and confidently say, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Is there anyone in here that can say that without feeling arrogant when you say it or worthy when you say Amen. Follow me. I'll show you how to endure. I'll show you how it's done. Because I'm following Christ. I'm going to show you. Man. So even at the end of his life, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. Don't you hope you can say those words? I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I hope I can say those words. And I have kept the faith. So he has reached an end, and he was content with it. I've done everything that I can do. So Paul knew this to be true of his life. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have allowed him to pen those words. Do you think? So he wouldn't have allowed for Paul to pen those words as an exaggeration, as, as a lie. So the Holy Spirit endorsed those words as Paul wrote them down. He, and he, he had indeed, and we know this, have fought a good fight. And one that was not partial, not one that was not, we, we lack a lot of things in this fight that we say that we're in. And one that wasn't deficient. You can see and read 
about the accounts of Paul. And he had finished the course God had kind of preordained and prescribed to his and his life, and he had been true to the faith. Obviously, this is after his conversion. So these ongoing battles, Paul knew a lot about these things, and his life's journey was ordained by God. He also spoke of many incredible ongoing battles which had been allowed to remain in his life, permitted to remain in his life. So it kind of takes us back to the question, why do some of these battles never seem to go away? Even though I'm following the Lord and trusting and having faith and not forsaking it, even though, why do some of these things continue, even though with our whole heart we're attempting to the best of our ability to follow the Lord? So why would God allow a battle to remain in our lives when he could clearly give you the victory in a moment's time? In a moment's time, he could give you the victory. You're thinking, maybe when I come to church this Sunday night, maybe this is the night that God lifts this. Because he could do it. Do we believe he can do that? He can do that on a Sunday night, a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, during choir practice on a Tuesday night, in your own personal time, around the clock, at home, in the car, in the closet, anywhere. He has the ability to remove it forever, permanently, never for you to struggle with it again. So why doesn't he? Why are we still toiling sometimes with struggles that we don't get? Why is that? So 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says this. As Americans, I think there's a certain amount of pride that comes with Christianity. And really, a lot of pe- most people are not saved, but there's even pride that rises up in that because we're American. I remember a video one time years ago that said, well, I'm from Texas. So yeah, I'm, I'm saved. So because you're from Texas, you're automatically a Christian. So there's this pride. There's this kind of like this disdain maybe as other people would perceive it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Why do they remain to, be, to keep me from becoming conceited? Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, and God permitted it. Why do some battles seem to never go away? God permits them to remain. So that, and Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Can I say that there's probably some battles in my life that are keeping me from being prideful? Is that what it says? So it teaches us to fully depend and rely on on God and not our own strength. Amen? He believed his battles were there to counteract the possibility of pride forming in him because of the knowledge he had been given by God. He had an encounter with God. And to make sure that he knew that it wasn't anything that he did, that it was all God, God had a thorn in his flesh that remained because there's nothing in Scripture that would tell us that it was ever removed before he passed away stayed there and paul understand also he had been a pharisee he'd been one of the best of pharisees at the point of persecuting the church of jesus christ paul even remember he even stood at stephen's death holding the coats of the men who said hold my coat and then got rocks and were throwing them at stephen consenting stephen's death that was paul and then god had changed everything so certainly 
we can probably all agree that pride, God resists it. It's at the root uh, of everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, right? It's at the root of all, these, of all those things. Pride may have been maybe something that Paul struggled with beforehand. You could say obviously, probably. And, and God knew there had to be something to give him to keep him in a place where his ears were open and his eyes could see the, where the real power and the real victory lays and comes from, which is Christ alone. So there was something that remained in his life for that. And he even asked God to remove this thorn from his flesh. Struggles that he was going through caused him to go to God three times in prayer and ask these battles to be taken from him. Now, do you think that these were just casual times of prayer? Because there are some absolute battles that we go through, and we want God to remove them. When we go to God in prayer, we hardly ever pray, God, let your will be done. Do you? Unless you think maybe you're hoping what you know what his will is. Because if you were to really pray that, that's a dangerous prayer. When, when we want healed, when we want fixed, when we want all these things, we just pray for those things. You ever pray for God's will? You know, and I, there's a lot of things in my life that I've struggled with. There's a lot of thoughts, demons, torment, to, being tormented and condemned and guilt and shame and false, uh, uh, all this fault and even struggle with my wife and I to conceive. And have you ever prayed, God, whatever you want, maybe that is a perpetual thorn. Have I ever said, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done in this. And whatever it is, help us to be content with it. Amen? Because a lot of people start off with the, in a Christian walk kind of easy, especially if you've grown up in church and you've never entered into warfare. It's an easy street. Easy street. Now, please understand, I'm saying this, I, my, my wife and I, you know, we, we rejoice with people that have the news that have kids. Rejoice! But there's always this back, well, what? I don't, we don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So, so what's that mean? Throw in the towel? Not at all. Because I'm telling you right now, Carol, even six months before you prayed it, that God is producing an eternal glory brick by brick by brick by brick that is producing a grit inside of you that you will not get any other way. It won't happen. God, give me hardship. Have you ever prayed that? You ever prayed that? Produce something in my life, God. Uh, some hardship, a challenge, some calamity, Lord. Something that I'm not expecting that will blindside me and cause me to weep and to cry out to you. Produce something in my life that will cause that. Because I've had it too easy. And I'm telling you, if you cling to God in those moments, he starts to produce some gravel in your guts that you've probably never had. And, and Paul says, through all what I've been through, as I follow him, follow me. So three times he asks him. It, it's not a casual moment of prayer. There, I mean, very serious moments of prayer. God! 
you have to deliver me from this. Take this away. I can't bear it anymore. Now you can hear his cry. You know that I'll always serve you, Lord. Just why this? You know that I'll always serve you. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that nothing can separate me. So, So why all of this? But a terrible battle is going on and in, in, and around me. And, and I'm asking you to take it away from me. So the Lord responded to Paul's prayers by saying this. I'll just make my grace sufficient for him. <laughs> you ever tried to pray away, pray away a battle and not embrace it? Because if you pray it away and it goes away, you didn't grow at all. Still stagnant, still in the same place. But if you embrace it and you fight through it, you say, God, what do you want to do to me inside to help me get through this? What's going to happen to me and my character at the other side of the sea when you will drown my enemies in this book? What's going to happen? And he also said, I, I won't take it away, but I'm going to make my strength perfect in your weakness. So God let Paul know that he would have struggles in his life, but these difficulties would never overpower him. I am more than a conqueror, so I'm not going to be overpowered or overtaken by these things, but still asking the question, why must they remain for months and years? Why? So these five areas that are in 2 Corinthians 12.10 say this. Paul kind of gives us five areas. He says, therefore, I take pleasure. There, what do you mean, Therefore. Therefore, I take pleasure. Well, the scripture before that, if I remember correctly, says, do not lose heart. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. Pleasure? Pleasure? Open yourself up tonight. Who, who has felt the tears land on the back of their pillow at night because you don't understand anything? Two people, come on, open up. Say, yeah, it's me. I've wept because of a death in the family. I've wept because my, my kids are, are being threatened by the enemy and half of them are gone and half of them don't get it. They're leaving. And because of cancer and because of sickness and disease and we think because we're in this Christian walk that there's not going to be any hardship. Now, I know a lot of mature Christians in here, you, you understand the hardship. You've been through it. Therefore, I want to come to you and say, please encourage me in this because you had dealt with this. You dealt with this and you're still saved and you still love God and you've clung to the word through the entire process. I don't want advice from somebody who quit and gave up. If I'm a 16-year-old boy, I don't want advice from another 16-year-old boy that has been through nothing. I want to go to someone who is older, who's been through things, who has cried and wept and yelled at God and, and is still faithful. And God was faithful on the other side. Accountability should probably be with someone of the same gender that is older and wiser and has been through these things and can encourage you in the faith and strengthen you after they've come through these like the Scripture says. So the, uh, when it says infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses, the term infi- infirmities actually means bodily weaknesses, sicknesses, cancer. My grandfather had a, bl- a brain bleed the day before the restoration. 
I look back, it's just God constantly reminding me this is not in your own strength. Because he, it's like right on time. Grandfather, brain, brain bleed. I'm thinking about these things. One of my best friends from high school, his father's two floors uh, below my grandfather up at Riverside at the exact same time with Mercer in his bloodstream. And I'm, and I'm gonna, supposed to do the restoration. And I'm wondering if my wife was going to get pregnant for the first time in 144 months. And I'm like, and then no, and then, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Can God give you joy through these things? Can he? Will you let him? Please, 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 God, whatever your will is, whatever your will is. So cliche to say what doesn't kill me makes me strong, but it's kind of true. It's kind of true. What it doesn't kill you spiritually makes you spiritually stronger. So uh, reproaches were all those insults that were kind of just thrown and heaped on Paul as he endured. The word endure implies something hard happened. You know, we talk about all these different things that are happening right now in the world. And, you know, we want all these messages. And if the church isn't right with God and going through and showing the world how to endure... I mean, we, there's other things to think about. You might, we, we get all excited about different things. And Jesus is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. The king is returning. He is coming back. And it could be tonight. It could be tomorrow morning. It could be before the message is over. And we always say that, but we never believe it. Because if we did, there would be weeping and repenting this moment, right now. Right now. Just kind of hoping that we're in good shape with God. And the word necessity refers to distresses or needs, and it can also mean the old nature which fights with the man against the new nature that Christ has given him. Also speaks about persecutions, which means that Paul was persecuted even by his own brethren for what he stood for. And lastly, Paul talks about these distresses or crushing afflictions, which ordinarily would destroy a person if he didn't have the resources of God to get them through it or sustaining them. I got some news the other day about a situation I thought, I, I do not understand. I can't fathom someone going through that without God. It's beyond me. I cannot. And you want to talk to them, and you want to message them, and you want to try to help them. You know, I, I think this is kind of a segue from pastor's message this morning, but also you saw the movie God's Not Dead yesterday and all the different saw. I'm not going to say anything that would ruin it, but make sure you see it in the next few days because I think they're taking it, but I didn't expect all these side stories, and you'll see that when you watch it, but just the heartache that people go through in life. How do they do it without God? It's hard to do it with God, let's be honest. So these things, lastly, Paul, he talks about these afflictions, which it's spiritual, it's scriptural, it's godly. These afflictions, we're afflicted. It's important to know that Paul, that, that, that uh, knew that he would have the victory because God's promises would not allow him to be overcome by any of his enemy, enemy, uh, enemies. So these, I'm going to talk real quick, <clears throat> excuse me, about five kings in Canaan. So you kind of might be going through some of these same things. There was, there was death. There was some type of ridicule, mockery, persecution, something that you want that you can't, that you haven't been answered about in prayer yet or all these different things. So you might be going through some of these same things and wondering why, why these continual perpetual thorns are in your side. But in spite of your wondering, part of the victory will, uh, you will experience begins when you understand why God has allowed him to stay in your life. So these patterns throughout the Old Testament, if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and then kind of mark at Judges 3, um, it says, 
uh, patterns throughout the Old Testament of how God used adversity to deal with his people. So he's actually using adversity to deal with people. And God's permitting these things to happen in your life. Whether it's bad news, whether it's back pain, whether you can't sleep at night, whether you're mentally tormented when you go to sleep, you're wondering if you're on the path that God has chosen for you. You're, you're asking, why is my life, why is it what it is right now? I didn't think I'd be at this point in my life in this situation. And you wonder, 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 wonder. And you try to reason, 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 reason. And that makes it worse, 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 worse. So 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings on us on whom the fulfillment of ages have come. So these are, these are warnings to these people, these hardships they're going through. They're warnings for us. Saying you're going to go through these tough things, but they're for your good. And they're for my glory, God says. Judges uh, 3, 1 through 3 says, Now these are the nations with the, which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of Israel had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know, to teach them war. I was reading a book by Carter Collin called Fear Not. Who's read it? I know Pastor and Jason maybe read it. Phenomenal book. Um, one of the things in there that it talked about teach us, te- basically teaches us how to fight. And it said we don't know how to fight. And this is true because we don't embrace those hardships to fight through them. And then to be like David did, well, I, the same God who delivered me from the bear delivered me from the paw of the bear, the mouth of the lion, he'll deliver me from Goliath, period. And he goes into that confidence because he has a secret victory, he can go into public victory. And it's not any big deal. It's not showboating. It's just, a, well, God did this and this in private. I'm taking that confidence that I gained in private and transferring it over to the public realm. And the same God who did this and this will do this. What confidence? What confidence? So it says, namely five lords of the Philistines, of all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, dwelt in Mount Lebanon, uh, from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering of Hamath. And in the Old Testament scripture, God's referring to these five kings that were left in the land. What land? The promised land. They were left in the promised land. Well, isn't the promised land some type of picture of Christianity? And he left these kings that weren't even victorious kings. They were actually five defeated kings already. So they were left there in the land by God to teach the Israelites how to fight. They were left there. And they, weren't, they, were, they were defeated kings. Do you understand this? They were defeated kings. Now in the New Testament, sin is defeated, amen? Sin is already defeated, So they they weren't kings who had the power to defeat the people of God. They were more like just annoying kings. Annoying kings. Perpetual thorns in the side of his people. In a land that was filled with milk and honey. A promised land of good things and and prosperity and and, um, provision and all these things. And God said, I'm going to leave these five kings here that's going to be a reminder to these people. Not to depend on their own strength, but always to depend and look to me for victory. And I'm going to leave them there. And they weren't, they were already defeated kings. The enemy and sin are already defeated. The victory is laid before their feet, but they still have to fight. So they were allowed by God to stay so they could prove Israel kind of more, more clearly to teach those who had not formally experienced warfare how to go to battle for themselves. 
So there were a lot of people that hadn't, had not formally gone to war. The older generations have, but this new younger Joshua generation had not. So they hadn't been through spiritual warfare, maybe like some older people that had some experience with God. So all of a sudden you're 14, 16, 20, and your 20s are maybe early 30s, and now you're, you're, you're starting to experience unbelievable warfare in your life. Why, what is the purpose of it? It's all meaningful. It is all meaningful. And it's to build glory to glory, brick by brick. If you think you're going to be able to stand in the end times in some cosmic battle that's taken, you will. If you can't stand now, you're done. Through your little bad news, now I'm not making light of this because it's heart-wrenching and it brings tears. We, we've been there, we're there, you're probably there in these situations. But if we can't battle through these things and go to the Lord in prayer and on our knees and get our face in the word of God and claim these scriptures out loud, what makes us think we're going to be able to stand in the midst of all these coming days of terrible, terrible calamity and persecution? We won't because you haven't proven yourself. So these five kings were left really in essence as a, as a training ground. You know, David's teach my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Well, what have, we, what have you done? What have we done? And to be honest with you, I grew up in church my whole life from basically conception through 15 or 16. I was in church. And I was a wild stallion. I, was, I needed to be broken and tamed and bridled and, and, and kind of redirected and harnessed and guided to something because I was out of control. Anybody else? Now, don't you say, I remember you. What about you? Some people probably do remember me. Thank God for his mercy, Amen. Man, he is good. So as you, it was used for a training ground for the Israelites to know how to rely on the strength of God as, as their forefathers had done, really. So, you know, he was, I think pastor said this morning that being saved isn't automatic. You're not automatically saved. Some people think they are saved genetically. My mom's Christian, my dad's a Christian, I'm fine. Uh, right? It's genetics, it's, I don't know how we think this until the real war comes in your own personal life. You will never know the victory of God until you go through a personal battle. I was afraid to pray that up until about two, three years ago. Then I would say, God, through these things, you have actually made my weakness perfect due to your strength. Your strength is made perfect in these weaknesses that I have, and it's pretty much all weakness. It's all weakness. And what you have done, I, I, I've prayed in the past two, three years, God, if this is going to make me stronger and, and build my character in you, give me something else. I was scared to pray that. You ever prayed that? Not, probably not. I hadn't up until then. I started to realize that these, these moments of adversity produce something in you that cannot be manufactured if you choose to cling so the, the victory had been laid at their feet. It's almost like he said uh, to Joshua in the land, there's giants over there. And he said, well, the land is yours, but go get it. No, it's yours, but go get it. It's yours. Okay, well, it's my, no, 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 the, but go get it. 
So God wants you to still fight. You understand? So the, these lessons of obedience and even being separate, Judges 3, 4 says, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands of the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the kings had to prove and test the people of God to see whether they would obey him. So when something difficult comes into your life, you know, all these things we talked about, Jace preached it and going to Peter saying, I desi- Satan desires to have you, God permitted it. Job and, and or G, uh, God and Satan communicating back and forth on the earth and, and Job wandering, or uh, Satan wandering to and fro. And he, he said, what about Job? And yeah, go ahead and permit, he permits these things. He permits them. And some things never go away. Some battles never go away, ever. How many of you have a battle that it, it's still going on? Please be honest. It, and it, it's been there for months, maybe years, maybe decades. How have you approached that? Because God will never get out of us any glory if we don't embrace those struggles. Say, God, whatever you want, if this is going to keep me humble, if this is going to keep me whatever it is. You know, Jen and I even talked about, it'd be great if we went back to the restoration this year and held up the baby, but I'm still convinced that the baby's not the miracle. What God has done in our hearts through this process has been the miracle. Absolute miracle. It has been. But we talked probably two days before the event and said, because that, that was another thing that the enemy was bombarding me with the whole time saying you're going back and you're in a worse position you're defeated you have nothing to show for what you believed god in and for you have nothing you're worse off and it's because i know that god put us back there because every single one of those kids have situations that they're still in so what if we had that fairy tale ending here they are well what about those thousand kids that are still in their same situation. Watch us! Learn how to fight! We're not giving up! That's the message. I'm not saying we're not giving up. We will have a child. No. God, your will be done. We will serve you and love you no matter what. Whether you take my child at age six, whether I have cancer, you have that even if resolve. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. So these people, they, they couldn't be, uh, these are people who cannot be conquered. This is, these are the saints. These are Christians. They refuse to be intermixed in the ways of the people of the world during these trials, during these struggles. And 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 says, Paul says something kind of very similar to, to us. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has unrighteousness with righteousness with unrighteousness or what communion has light with darkness and what concord has Christ with Belial or what part has he what believes with an infidel and what agreement has the temple of God with idols and uh, you are the temple of the living God as he has said and I will dwell in them and in them I will be their God and they'll be my people and wherefore come out from among them and be separate says the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. So this is what God is trying to teach the Israelites in this moment. Judges chapter 3 and to us in Corinthians. How to fight. How to know victory. How to obey and stay separate people unto God. You know, I would like to think that the people of God understood why these things were left, why these kings were left in the land. 
but these are things that we don't understand. Why are these battles continually left in my life? To see if I know how to fight. To test me, to prove me. To see if I'm willing. So the, the battles they faced were kind of, were to prove them, to teach them how to fight and to see whether or not they would obey God in difficult times. So, but Judges 3, 5 uh, does not bear witness that this is what happened. Rather, it says the children of Israel dwelt among the foreign nations in the promised land. What are these? For, sin. They're old ways. They got intermixed and then they intermarried with different things. During these struggles, and when we go through struggles, we go right back to our weaknesses if we don't cling to God. So where they began to intermarry, serve their gods who weren't even gods at all, and, and they learned the ways of the people around them and did what was wrong and evil in God's sight, Instead of standing in the midst of the battle and trusting God to give them the victory, they became focused on obtaining their own provision, uh, and so they gave into their own sensual natures and their desires during the battle. So these are struggles if we let them to make us, to have it build character, to make us stronger, to be able to stand in the midst of adversity when our strength is small. Psalm says, that's what Psalm says, well, where do you go for strength? I go to the rock that is higher than I. I go to my, my refuge, my buckler, my shield, my God in whom I will trust, like the scripture at the altar call said this morning. So the Israelites didn't realize God had left these five kings in their midst to actually make them stronger. So we could say that they, they was, it, was, it was a bunch of war games. There, there, there were war games going on. Were they going to spiritually survive these war games? In a time of peace, even our own military in the United States and other militaries around the world they get into groups and they have like little mock battles with one another to keep each other's skills sharp right so even if they're not in an actual fight they stay sharp so for the israelites these were already you understand these five kings were defeated kings they were already defeated kings this represents sin this represents death it's defeated after jesus came and died that's all defeated god lays the victory at our feet and he says, go get it, to teach us how to fight. They were, these kings were a nuisance. They were an annoyance. But nevertheless, they were in the land of promise that God said, go get it. It's a great land. And then he leaves these five defeated kings there for that purpose, I believe. So they had to be planned against. They had, they had to have a plan. They had to have a strategy. Um, they had to be fought against. And the victory was already theirs. It just had to be realized. Because the Israelites failed to understand this, they turned and looked at these kings and their ways of doing the things as the deliverance was going to come through their own ways. So they started coming through, up through strategies thinking these kings need to be, they're already defeated. They're already defeated. But they looked to their own ways. They looked to their own strategizing. How am I going to defeat this? You start making our own plan to get out of sin. We start making our own plan and it never works, ever. We have to understand that it's already defeated. So, almost like the, the Bible talks about the law being a schoolmaster, teaching us how to stand in adversity, not thinking we can, uh, we'll be able to stand again in this great stuff that's happening, the you know, cosmic warfare, all these end time things that are going to be unfolding, whether it's the next you know, few seconds or 30, 40, 50 years or two years, four, whatever, doesn't matter. But are we going to be able to stand? Are we going to be able to Say that God is our victory, that I've trusted him, that I've had faith in him, that I have not turned from him, and that I know that he is faithful. I know that I can trust him through all of these things. 
So for instance, these struggles that rise up in our carnal nature and the challenge, the very, the challenge, the very word that we receive from God or, you know, God says this and then all of a sudden all, all adversity comes against us saying no. Or attitudes. We get attitudes that develop when we don't get our way. And we bail out sometimes. So God allows these things to rise up and teach us to depend on him. And Paul got this because he said he takes pleasure in these things pleasure so God allows these things to happen he, he knew that even as the law was a schoolmaster that led him to the knowledge that he needed a savior uh, the thorn in his flesh was also a schoolmaster that kind of taught him to stand and, and, and not just give up or be idle or, or stagnant in the midst of these battles and turn to something else so because of his understanding Paul could actually glory and rejoice when people cursed at him or when he suffered physically in his body, which was a lot. He could praise God because these things were defeated by the grace of God within him. Paul said, the weaker I am, the stronger I become. Without understanding the purpose of the thorn in the flesh, Paul could have ended up defeated in prison at the end of his days. Defeated. At the end of his days. So can you imagine what what would have happened if Paul didn't live in victory? All these great, no, nothing, hardly anything great. Great things came through persecution, adversity, turmoil in Paul's life. Do you think that maybe God put those things there because that's how he was with other people? And he was showing him, this is what you did to all these Christians. You, you killed them. You mocked them. You stoned them. You beheaded them. You sawed them asunder. So I'm gonna give you a thorn so that you know you need to be dependent upon me and not your own strength in this walk. And he, would not, he wouldn't have been able to take a pen and write all these things, half the New Testament. He wouldn't have been able to do that to be able to encourage us through these words. So Paul could say in the book of Romans that we're more than conquerors, neither death nor life, angels, powers, principalities, things present, things to come, nor height, depth, and any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the same Paul who had the thorn in his flesh. And again, there was no evidence that it was ever taken away. So how many of you are still struggling with something that you struggled with 20 years ago? And you're still asking God to take it away? I'm not talking about willful sin. I'm talking about hardship and, and struggle and things that you just don't understand why they have to happen. Because you're serving God to the best of your ability and there's still these things clinging to you, giving, just being annoying and a nuisance. Why am I still dealing with this? Are you still asking God to remove it? Are you saying, God, what do you want to do through this? 20 years later, okay, God, what do you want out of this? What do you want? And some of you have just been dealt something that you just are overwhelmed with and you cannot handle what's your prayer god get rid of this naturally it is take it away deliver me but maybe it's god's will to permit this what if that's the case how do you know it's not be in prayer god what do you want to do through this how are you going to get glory through this so kind of gaining this a proper perspective you may have a thorn that will never go away. If you can see it in its proper perspective, you'll become, that thorn will become the very thing 
that will propel you into your greatest work for God. It can actually become the catalyst. Imagine that. I guarantee you those that have faced cancer and death in the family and have overcome these things, you use that story very frequently to win people to the Lord or to console them or to comfort them or to provide peace and encouragement and strength. It's the very thing that now has become a catalyst into your greatest ministry. So why do we kick against these things? We think we're not going to deal with these things? We shouldn't have to because we're in the land of promise? In the land of promise, you will go through trials and tribulations. So just to kind of skip down a little bit, you might be thinking that, that, that your enemies are currently all around you, but you don't have to give yourself to them. Children of Israel had, had failed to obey and stay separate and, and, or even understand why these kings were allowed to be in the land. In the final desperation, they did cry out to the Lord for help because it usually takes us to that point of final desperation. You finally can cry out to God. And it says in Judges 3.9, it says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. When they finally got to the point... You think, well, prayer never changes things because I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and the result's always the same and it's always, it's just worthless and useless and why pray? Because it's not doing anything and now we've left our prayer closet altogether. Some people need to kind of resurrect that tonight. Revive that tonight. Revival's for, for Christians. Those who were alive and now spiritually dead and need brought back to life. Revival's for Christians reviving them, reviving us, resuscitate us back to life. Because we were lost and found and then something has happened to us. We had all these prayer requests and all these things that we thought it would be great and I'm going to be this and that for God and now there's all kinds of calamity. Why do you think that is? Because brick by brick, God is rebuilding you and He is making you ready for people to ask you about the hope that is inside of you. He's making you ready for it. Please, please cling to these things. So when they cried to the Lord, He gave them a deliverer, and this is exactly what God wants us to do. Find that we find ourselves in similar situations and circumstances, but don't yield to the enemy. He's already defeated. Why yield to the enemy? He's already defeated. The Holy Spirit, He will bring you into marvelous victory. You don't have to seek your own provision. You don't have to be given over to sensuality. You have Jesus on your side. He's a mighty deliverer who stood in the temple and opened the Bible. And He said in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and to recover sight to those that are blind, and to set liberty to those who are bruised in heart. And if you haven't been through anything and allowed God to take you through anything, how can you give hope like that to other people and be confident that He will do those things? If you've never experienced maybe receiving your spiritual sight or becoming spiritually rich or being brokenhearted and now God has made you whole, He is your deliverer. He will give you the victory in the midst of the battle, especially in the midst of the battle, even if it's just in your heart. He will give it to you. 
And he will give you the power to withstand your enemies. You know, we started at the restoration talking about James Brown singing, I feel good. And we, we like that philosophy. We like that theology of Christianity. But if you listen carefully, we add those lyrics to our theology. We sing, well, I feel good like a Christian should. And as long as I, we add this, as long as I keep feeling good, I'll keep living and acting like a Christian should. We add those lyrics to it because when things get tough, we're like, this can't be Christianity. This can't be God's will for me. How do we know that? So, I mean, we have plenty of reasons to feel good, do we not? Plenty of reasons. How many of you are saved? Amen? Feels good. Man, I'm saved. How, how many of you have been bought by the blood of the Lamb? Come on. Anyone have chains of bondage and sin stripped off your back and now you're free? I feel good. Like a Christian should. Anyone on their way to heaven tonight? We have lots of reasons to feel good. But if we're not careful, we, we throw that in there. I feel good like a Christian should, and as long as I keep feeling good, I'll keep acting and living like a Christian. And we do this stuff all the time, even though we may not say it, because we live in a feel-good culture. And, and the culture says, um, you don't do what's, uh, culture says, you don't do what's right, you do what you feel. Because what you feel can't be wrong. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? That's our culture. So we roll that over into Christianity. Stuff's too hard. We get kids that quit all the time because they start getting mocked and made fun of. And they're like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. That's why we had this message that Saturday night at the restoration. Now what? Now what? So, you know, new car feels good. Smells good, it feels good. You can't afford it, but it feels good. So we do it. We make these decisions. Shopping, buying things that we don't need, being in relationships that we shouldn't be in. But it feels good. Substance abuse, liking the way we look in the mirror. We do this all the time. Though we're sure we don't say these things. We don't do things that, we don't do very smart things. We don't do right things very often. We're prone and bent towards doing the wrong thing, are we not? Thinking the wrong things. Like people take vows till death do us part. I do, I do, I love you forever, unless, of course, we fall out of love. Because, you know, we've lost that loving feeling. Doesn't feel good anymore. Then we start pointing fingers. Well, love is what's bad, not me. Love is bad. And that damages all their future relationships. Because we expected it to feel great. So this is what our culture has kind of produced, even transferring over to our walk with God, our faith, our love for God, our Christianity, a feel-good faith. We'll love you and serve you and live for you as long as I'm not made fun of or nothing bad happens or I get what I want or the bills are paid and the sun's shining and everything's good. As long as I feel good, I'm in. But then you have this story about Daniel 3 that we talked about at the Restoration where these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3, 17, and 18, have this like two-sided coin of faith. It says that they say, well, uh, we know that God will deliver us from this because 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to deliver you over to the fiery furnace and it's going to be hot and you're going to die. And if you don't bow to me, I'm going to make this statue really tall and big of myself out of gold and this and this and this. And on the trumpet sound, you're going to bow to it. And everyone is expected to bow. And then the trumpet goes off and there's these three guys standing there in the midst of maybe hundreds or thousands of people that are bowing to this image because they're afraid of what would happen to them if they remain standing. They're afraid of adversity. They're afraid of calamity. So they remain standing. And and 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Verse 17, that first side of the coin of faith says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He can and he will. And a lot of theologians say in the next verse is doubt. You're doubting. Verse 18 says, that's the other side of the coin of faith, that says, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So if that faith were a two-sided coin, 17 would be one side, verse 18 would be the other. And we say things like, well, I know God could, but I'm not sure if he wants to or will. Yes, he does want to. He has the will to, he has the ability to, and he will, and he can. But even if he doesn't, you're doubting. No, no, no. That to me is more faith. More faith. Even if he doesn't do what I expect that he can and will and wants to do, I'll still follow him. Because what else do I have? Do you have that kind of even if resolve? Well, God, I know you will and you want to and you have the power and the ability and the know-how. and the But even if you don't, even if you don't, Will you still serve him as hard as you can? So we'd say things like, well, I know he could. And, well, God loves and he wants to heal us. He wants to fix marriages. He wants to put lives back together. There's no doubt that he has the power and that he has the will. This feel-good faith whispers, as long as he does it or he does what I want him to do, I'll keep following him. And of course, we never say this, but we always act this way. God does this. He puts these things in your lives for a moment, sometimes a season, sometimes a lifetime. And, this feel, and, and it said, God, I'll do anything uh, you want. I'll, I'll die for you. And, and then when it rains, we don't even go to church because we have a bad hair day. I'll die for you, Lord. What do you want for my life? And you don't even go to church because you can't find an outfit. What kind of a commitment do we have? Or we miss our old friends, or we're too tired, or we never want to be inconvenienced. So it's basically and continues to be all about us. So get a little bit of a different perspective tonight and say, God, this is in my life. Maybe it's for a purpose. So God, I don't know what it is, and maybe I will never know. But I trust you. I trust you. So maybe our proclamation and declaration should be, God, you bought me. You bought me, Lord. You have the right to my life. You have the right to my heart. You have the right to do anything you want to bring you glory. I just now give myself to you. I yield myself back to what's already yours. I trust you. So we bought this cliche that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which he does. But we say that way too often. And we agree with that and we'll keep following him as long as that plan stays wonderful. And when it doesn't, we start to question God's existence and his love for us. 
But if we stay in here, that's not what that says. So maybe a more accurate statement would be, God loves you and has an adventurous plan for your life. Wonderful. Well, how do you define wonderful? Adventurous. Dangerous. A dangerous plan. What do you want, Lord? Sounds more exciting than wonderful. It does. Dangerous. Adventurous. Risky. What do you want, Lord? And even through all the beatings and the stonings and the shipwrecks and all the different things that happened to Paul, he took pleasure in these things. And he said, as I follow Christ, follow me. Wow. Wow. So we come to God with these conditions and our faith becomes kind of like overshadowed, eclipsed by unanswered prayer, hardship, mockery. Well, I'm not going back to church. God doesn't love me. We leave church. Someone did us wrong. We get let down by someone in the faith. So these hardships and challenges cause us to question our faith. Where's God? I can't feel him now. You know, Per, personal struggles that, that I've had that my wife has had or my wife going through these panic attacks like crazy that she talked about with a thousand kids at the restoration on Saturday morning being overtaken and you ever been in a fetal position at 2 a.m. crying and wondering if God is there? Anyone? Because if you haven't, it might be a good thing because it's really gonna make you believe and trust and depend on God fully. I don't, no one wants that. But I'm telling you, if you go through it the way God wants you to go through it, it produces a character and a glory that cannot be manufactured any way else. And we talked about the attacks and the anxiety and not sleeping for six months and loved ones passing away and not having children and me doing the funeral of a three-month-old open casket. I mean, stuff isn't fair. These things happen. What do you tell these people? God is good all the time. Well, what's that definition? He does everything for your good. Yes, amen. But you're not gonna view it that way in the heat of that moment. A youth pastor's friend struggle with their child who's two or three years old now that still has a head that swelled up two, three size, a normal baby size. How do they do it? How do they go through that? How do they spend, I don't know what their bill is going back to children's and back for three years now. I don't know what their bill could be. We've given gas money. We've tried to help them, but they are the most encouraging, positive people I think I've ever met. They are amazing because they stay in the word of God and they continue to go to church. They continue to pray and worship. I I would just hang out with them all the time because of the stuff they go through and they're still the ones that are encouraging other people. It's because they've clung to a God that offers those things. Wow, these things aren't fair, but it's what God uses to get us closer to him most of the time. A a family member being locked up or on drugs, and the list goes on. You know, I always think about these kids being coming from a broken home, and then I start to look at my, the, 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 the pedigree or genealogy on our sides and out and all these things. I'm like, we're all messed up. We are all messed up. All of us. Because I always think that it's uh, the statistics of these kids coming from a broken home. I thank God for my parents who broke generational curses from, and I'm serving God. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. You're a, you are a miracle. <laughs> We're going to start to wrap up if I can. 
So many times, Mike, you can get the first video, um, Though You Slay Me, up. What a pleasant. <laughs> it's, it's good. Man, is it good. Go ahead and take all the lights down except for one right here, if you could do that, Mike. I know you're doing a lot back there. So these personal experiences, you know, many times when our will doesn't line up with God's will, we quit praying or praising or attending church and ask, why, God, are you doing this? And, and we face these times, and, you know, will we trust him even when we don't understand? Will we trust his character and his nature? Because the outcome of the things that we go through has nothing to, God's character doesn't change. It doesn't change. So verse 18 says, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image you have set up. So the outcome doesn't change their behavior or their trust in God. That's faith. That's serious faith. Even if he never answers another prayer in my life, even if a Christian lets me down or forget those Christians. That's what the, and, and that's what a lot of people say. That Christian, that I'm going to base all my faith and trust in God on someone else's behavior? That happens a lot. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, that then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, as I am fully known. We don't see the big picture, and we won't until eternity. So we simply don't get everything, and why... You know, why someone doesn't get healed or why someone gets laid off or dies or why this law gets passed even though we've prayed for weeks and months and this law still gets passed. Why is that? You know, this even in faith, like in Matthew 24, 13, but, but the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Another version says the one who endures through difficult things. Here's a bowl of ice cream, endure it. That's not hard. That's not hard. You know, I know. <laughs> difficult things. Sports and weights and marathons are things that are difficult. Think of that spiritually, seeing the finish line and doing whatever it takes to get there. The Christians that will be saved are those that will endure until the end. Amen? This is what Christians do, real Christians, even in faith and trust all throughout history, the Bible, and even today, all over the world, because He is the rightful owner of the universe in our hearts and our lives. Reminded of the story, like I told at the Restoration, about the guy, Horatio Spafford, who was... Who was uh, in Chicago, and he had a successful business, and he had uh, four daughters and a, and a son, and, and he had everything going for him. He was a wealthy, wealthy man, and he was a lawyer, and he was doing really well, and, and then um, he, he goes to set sail to England with his family, and then his, his son dies. His son passes away at the age of one, so they got to get through that and ask questions, why, 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 and he has to go through that, and then um, as he's, um, and then the great Chicago fire happened, which took out his whole business and a lot of Chicago, and he lost everything that he had. And then he was on his way uh, to, to England in a, in a boat, and um, he got called back for business to Chicago. So he said to his four daughters and his wife, just go without me, I'll catch up. And about 70% of the way across the ocean, the ship hit another ship and collided and went down. And his four daughters sunk to their death in the bottom of the ocean. And his wife miraculously floated up on a piece of debris and made it to shore. And called him and said, they're gone. The do- your daughters are gone. What do you want me to do? He said, I'm coming over. See, he goes over. And as he goes over, he gets about 70% across the way of the ocean. And the captain pulls him up and he says, this is the spot right here. He brought him up to the deck and he said, look over. This is where the other ship went down. This, these are where your daughters perished. 
And right in that moment on the ship, he wrote those lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way. I mean, that's the easy part. But when sorrows like sea billows roll, that's tough. But whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well. God is good, amen? God is good. Picture what was going through his mind as he wrote those words. There are times in our Christian faith when things are great, but other times when it feels like waves are pounding on us without relief. If you're in a storm right now, if you're in a storm right now, just put your hand up. If you're in a storm right now, you can put your hands down. The Bible says, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to ask a question, and there's, there's a lot of kids at the restoration at different youth things that we lead that have no shame in this, and they're just being honest, and if you've abandoned your faith and, 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 and you're trusting God for whatever reason, and you'd like to give yourself back to Him tonight, just say, that's me, I, I want to. Is there anybody that wants to do that tonight? Thousands of youth are unashamed. Is this you? A couple of people. It takes courage. I want everyone to stand to their feet. So if you will honor and proclaim and, and declare that you will serve and honor and follow and trust God, even if, even if you have a bad hair day, even if you might not be able to find anything to wear to church. What that first scripture say? My affliction is light compared to eternity, but it's producing in me an eternal glory. Even if I get sick or have a headache. Well, I don't believe that's from God. We live in a fallen world. Are you crazy? Things happen, period, period. Even if you stumble into sin or you have a bad day or even if you get made fun of or even if you don't feel like going to church or being happy or serving God, or even if you don't understand why, even if you have questions, even if someone dies in your family or a close friend, even if you're thrown to lions, so to speak, or even if you're thrown in jail because of your faith, or even if you're, you have, you're told you have six months to live, even if you never get married, even if you never have kids, even if you never become a millionaire, but you've been waiting on that million-dollar check in the mail forever. Even if, even if, even if you're not right where you thought you would be at this point in your life. And there's a lot of guilt, shame, and turmoil mentally that you go through and battle and condemn yourself. My Bible says if your heart condemns you, God is greater than my heart. Even if none of your friends or family are serving God, even if you are the only one standing, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of everybody else that is bowing down. I want you to listen to this song. If it draws you to the altar, please come up because I'm going to play another little song after that, but we are wrapping up. Go ahead and play the first song. Make sure it's, it's up that we can hear the lyrics. 
I know that God will do something to your heart through this song.